Welcome to another impactful message from Cornerstone Church, where we truly believe there is one hope for every heart, Jesus Christ. If you'd like to check out more resources or view video of this sermon, visit us online at cornerstonerome.com. All right, so I'm going to teach you some things from Malachi today, and I'm going to go through this. Uh, before I do, I'm going to give you, I don't usually do this, I'm going to give you up front what I'm going to talk about. So Malachi is a very interesting book of the Bible. Uh, he is the last, if you will, the last prophetic voice before Jesus. When you read the book of Malachi, Malachi is an interesting book because the next four, after the end of his prophetic word, there is going to be 400 years of silence. No more prophetic words. Now, you want to t- talk about a test in the measure of your faith. When Jesus or when God is silent, you'll find out what you really believe. When you, there is no prophetic word, when there is no divine um, impartation, or there's no leading, if you will, and it's just silent, you'll find out what you really believe. Because if you're the kind of Christian that's based your walk on emotionalism, and I'm not putting down feeling God, I love it when I feel God, it's great. <laughs> but if you've built your Christian faith on that, that you've got to feel something, you're going to be disappointed at times because you're not always going to feel stuff. If you're the kind of Christian that's built your life on, on what somebody else has said and how they did their ministry. God doesn't always do ministry the same way. There's some groundwork and some, some framework that God gives us in his word, yes. But there are seasons of things that God brings out in church history. You'll find this to be true. There were times of enlightenment. There were in times of healing. There were times of great miracles. There were times of great church, you know, planting and and church advancement in like America. There were times, there's all these different seasons that come along. And God, I hate to say, we are always typically on the back end of the next season that he's going to do. We're we're a little bit like trying to predict the economy and those kinds of things. What's going to happen? What's going to happen so we can invest? You really, you have to be really good at what you do to know how to do that. Most people can't figure out. As Christians, we're usually on the back end of what God wants to do. Because we live in a season that he did years ago, still wanting him to do that. But God may be moving in a different direction. And we're a little bit on the backside going, well, it looks like maybe that's God. And here's what we do. Is it not true? We criticize it because we're not doing it, right? I mean, do you remember when we changed from worship? We went from a worship style that was based on hymn books. And then when Hillsong started doing their worship style, the first churches that began to do it, we, we started doing that too. I mean, people blasted us. How dare you not sing from the hymn book? You must be like of the devil. Like, I mean, it was just weird stuff. Well, now you're the oddball if you open a hymn book. I mean, that's the truth. We're always on the backside of what God wants to do. And Malachi is no different. When he gave his word, the next 400 years was silent. Before John the Baptist came on the scene, it was silent. I'm telling you, it'll test your faith. You'll find out what you believe when God's silent. Say, Pastor, what does it have to do with anything? Because I'm going to give you four of these different things, and I'm not going through them long because the chapter's not long. When you read it, it pretty much is self-explanatory. But I'm going to break down a couple of things, and I'm going to give you these four right now, and I'm going to talk just for a few minutes on each one, okay? There's four different things when you see in Malachi that he breaks down. I already went last week and talked about Zechariah. Both he and Malachi are talking about returning to the Lord. Malachi gets a little more specific. Zechariah says return to the Lord, yes. But Malachi gets a little more specific in how he wants you to return to God. 
In the first area he talks about, he's going to reflect, he's going to, he's going to go after and talk to us about returning to God in our faith. Okay, and I'm breaking down, each one of these have an F so it makes it really easy, but you'll see the context of it, okay? Returning to your faith. I'll talk about it in just a moment. The next one he's going to talk about returning to your family. And the next one he's going to talk about returning to your finances. I know you're worried about probably, uh, you know, how long is he going to talk about that? It won't be that long, but I will talk about it. The fourth area he talks about returning to is the freedom in following God. Okay? So when you break this down, if I was to break it down for you, all about the first three chapters of Malachi, if you were to look at that, it was, it's all about us uh, <clears throat> returning to God. The first three chapters. The fourth chapter is all about God returning to us. When, when you understand the timeline of history and what this book does, this is the book they took this book, Daniel and a few others, Isaiah and different ones, but specifically they took parts of Malachi and they began to know within 50 years or so before the Messiah was born, they started seeing things do like this. And the Pharisees and the, the priests, they knew Jesus within a 50-year window. They, he's coming. And some would say things like, in my lifetime, I don't know if I'll ever see him, but I hope I do. There were some, if you remember when Jesus, we'll <clears throat> talk about this some later, but in the Gospels, you'll see a prophetess named Anna. Do you remember her? She was praying for the Messiah, that he would, uh, that he would be there. When, when, when she saw, when she was there, there was others in the Bible that prayed and, pr- and just praying that they would see. And they said, when I've seen, I've seen him. Now I can rest because I have seen him. They knew that Jesus was going to be born. This was not a question of how we have today of, well, he's coming back. We just don't know when. The Bible says very clear, you don't know the time, the hour, or the date. Only the Father knows. Jesus said he himself, even he doesn't, the Father says when he's coming back. We have signs. We have indicators. But you can't break it down by dates. I'm telling you, I've I've done the study on the numbers. It's very exhaustive to do. It takes a long time, so I've done the work for you, but you can go and do it if you want to. I've gotten it by the dates myself, trying to do it as if a priest in that time period, and I've gotten it down to a three-year window. That you could actually, within a three-year window, know Jesus was going to be born. That's um, pretty wild. To know that you would know within three years somewhere he's going to be born. That's why they were looking for him. And you can imagine after 400 years of silence... What anticipation would there be for the Messiah to be born? And in the middle of all this, the chaos of the Roman Empire and everybody else was putting so much pressure on Israel. They were looking for the Messiah, but they were looking for the wrong Messiah. When he said he was going to be a deliverer, they thought of Rome. But really, he was trying to deliver them of themselves. Malachi is all about a book that will deliver us from ourselves if we pay attention to it. So in this first area he talks about is your faith. I'll put a, a couple of verses of scripture on. I have four scriptures today. They're all in Malachi. It's going to be very easy, okay? But Malachi chapter 1, verse 6, and I'm going to read you each one of these, okay? Malachi chapter 1 and verse 6, and it says this, The Lord of heaven's armies say to the priests, okay? Understand something before I read this further. Um, the Lord says this, uh, in, in the Old Testament, we says a little bit different. He says, I don't reveal anything unless I reveal it first through my prophets. It is not to say put your faith in a man, but it is to understand God's way of doing things. 
I'm not the only guy. There's many people out there. But God, if God's going to speak, he is going to use people. I mean, he may do signs in the skies and heaven, but he always uses people to bring his, his plans across and to pass. But he says, first of all, he's talking to his priests, and he says this. He says to the priests, he said, a son honors his father and a servant respects his master. If I'm your father and your master, where is the honor and respect that I deserve? He tells them, you have shown contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we ever shown contempt for your name? He says, you've shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. Remember that. And then they asked the question, and they said, well, how have we defiled the sacrifice? You know, it's like one of them things like, you know, if your kid's getting a fight or whatever, or maybe you had more than one. If you was the only child, maybe you don't have this, but you had a fight with a friend or whatever. But, you know, siblings get in a fight or something happens, something gets broken in the house, you look over there and says, hey, man, who broke the chair? I don't know. I don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody did it, you know. Haley and I get blamed for everything. Nobody knows. Nobody did it. It's like going to God with Adam and Eve, right? Where are y'all at? Shh, be real quiet, Eve. Maybe he won't know we're here. Shh, be quiet. I told you, be quiet. He's coming. Adam, Eve. Oh, man. What are we going to do? I don't know. You told me to be quiet. I'm just trying to be a good wife. Okay. Adam, what are you doing? Um. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was just kind of hanging out over by the fig trees. Why? Because you was walking and I was naked and I was afraid. Who told you you was naked? Here's a better question. Why are you hiding from God? As if he didn't know you was behind the fig tree. Maybe he won't see us. if we. God knows all. He sees all. He's everywhere, man. But these guys ask the question of, what are you talking about? What's wrong with our sacrifices? What do you mean? And so he says, then you ask this question of me, why or how have we defiled the sacrifices? And he says, you defile them by saying the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. And what they were doing is this. It wasn't so much that he's talking money here. But they were to bring their sacrifices in. And when they did, they had a choice. They had a pen over here where all their nice little flocks were. You know, as the great A sheep, let's call them that, right? They, they, bah, you know, right? They look right. Their, their, their ears do right. They, they just cute little fluffy sheep, you know? And then they got this pen over here. It's like grade B. I mean, their bass more like a ball, you know? It was kind of like, okay, they, they kind of, you know, maybe they got a little hoof issue or whatever, but they look about the same. Then they got grade C. Now, if you don't know the difference in grade C, it's like the meat at Walmart. When you go by and it's been reduced three times and it's already turned brown, you know, this would be grade C. They don't even buy They go like, Ugh. like they sound weird, man. Like there's something wrong with that pen. And God is saying, you, you think I don't realize? You brought me the one that's like with a broke hoof, missing an ear, got no eyeball, whatever. You brought me that. He don't even buy. He buh. You know, you brought, I see that. And he's not talking about finances here. He's talking about when we bring something to God in our faith. Man, don't hide behind some broken, non-working, culturized Christianity faith. You don't have to hide from God. And you certainly don't have to hide from his word. You don't have to apologize for his word. And we should not be ashamed of what we believe. 
The Bible says, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is a day and time we live right now where Christians everywhere are so ashamed of this. We're afraid to talk about anything. Well, because that's going to offend this person. Well, I'm sorry. Not trying to be offensive because God loves everybody. He's trying to help. Don't be afraid and don't uh, water down your faith. Believe what God says about his word. Don't water down the gospel. When you water down the gospel, it becomes, as Paul said to Timothy, he said, there are some people, there are some people that are out there. They have denied the faith in a sense. They, they have accepted this, this, this form of belief system, if you will. But they, they've, they've denied the power of the gospel. It's a form of godliness. It looks real good in church. But they've denied the power of the gospel. And if you want to, Malachi says, you want to return to your faith, it's important that we hold fast to what we believe. That you don't water down what you believe based on culture. Because culture, it, it wants to water down everything. The second thing in chapter 2 is your family. Okay? In Malachi chapter 2, verse 13, <clears throat> he says this. <clears throat> he says, here is another thing you do. Now, you understand, he's talking to these guys. You can imagine, if this is the last thing you're going to hear from God for 400 years, and this is what he's bringing you, right? I mean, he's getting all over these guys. He said, here's another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altars with tears. You weep, you groan because he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. Well, I wonder why. You gave him the, you know, no wonder. He's like, why would I pay attention to that, you know? And he says, you, you cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? Well, I'll tell you why, he said. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. But you have been unfaithful to her, though she remained your faithful partner the wife of your marriage vows. Now, who's he getting on to here? Remember who's he talking to? He's talking to the priests. When Jesus got on to, and I'm briefly going to get into this, but when Jesus got onto the priests and he criticized them or he got on them pretty strict about it, it was because they were doing the same thing that this was going on then. And I'll explain it here in a minute briefly. Okay? Let's finish reading this and <clears throat> you'll, hear the, you'll hear the connection. He says, but you've been unfaithful to her even though she was faithful to you, the wife of your marriage vows. Didn't the more Lord make you one? With your wife, in body and in spirit, you are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart, remain loyal to the wife of your youth. Now, and he goes on a number of different things there, and I don't have time to get into all this other stuff. But these guys, what they would do is, they, they didn't like their wife anymore. They, they found something they didn't like. They picked out a flaw. And I don't mean like, you know... She was kind of out there doing her thing. She, no, no, no. They picked out a flaw. Like she had a hangnail. They were really, I mean, I'm not kidding. They found the least little thing they could find. They said, oh, 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 you know, we, we, we can't have this anymore. We're going to go for a divorce. Why? Because she had a hangnail. And they would accept it. Now, I mean, pretty, I don't know if it was actually a hangnail. It, it, it might have been something else. But it was that silly. And instead of upholding God's word and saying, no, deal with your issue. And this is what I always tell people, like, before they come to me. Now, I've encouraged some people, you know, you need to get out. I, I'm not that kind of pastor who sit there and hold on to the end of the life. I mean, I'm like, if there's abuse in a home, you need to get out. I'm not that kind of pastor. I ain't, you're never going to hear me. you got the wrong guy if you say, hey, pastor, pray that this all works out. Does he hit you? Yeah, no. No, I'm going to get about three guys. Can I, we come up, we'll fix this. Like, 
I'm saved, but listen, I ain't like, you know what I mean? I'm not that kind of guy. I'm not you, Pat. Well, I just pray you've got to work it out. No, no, no. Let me help you fix it real quick. I'll get a couple of guys. I mean, some guys just waiting for an excuse, man. They've been serving Jesus. They've been told you got to love everybody. They just think for, like, oh, can we do that? Can we, can we help a brother get out? Yeah, yeah, we can do it. Is there abuse? No, we don't, we're not praying for that to work out. You got to get somebody out of that situation. Is there an addiction, a system, something going on that's causing harm to kids? Got to get them out. You can't sit there and pray for that to work out. Amen. Family is meant to be worked out when both can come together. And there's no abuse. There's no like serious harm being done there. You can work some stuff out there. If that's the case, he's saying work on your issue. Don't come to me saying like, Pastor, you know, I just pray for my wife. What's wrong with her? Well, she just, man, she thinks I ought to work in the yard a little bit more. Well, Okay, well, what's the big deal with that? Well, I mean, you know, I mean, how much do you want you to work? Just two hours on Saturday. Well, Joker, get a rake and get busy. Shut up. Like, what's the problem, right? What's the problem? Pastor, don't you pray for my husband? What's wrong with him? Well, he just, you know, I, I just want you to pray for him. We're having problems. What's wrong with him? Well, well, you know, he just don't read his Bible as much. As much as who? Well, I mean, you know, I just heard how Billy Graham was. a oh, man, listen, you have got... Come on. That you gotta fix you gotta work that out. You gotta deal with that. You gotta fight for your family. I help in any way I can, but listen, the little mini mouse excuses that say stuff like that, you gotta fix that. If there's abuse, a serious issue, there's harm, now I'll help. I'm not gonna sit there and try and work that kind of stuff out. And maybe God will restore it. i I pray that He does not. But if you've ever been in those situations and seen it firsthand, you would not be telling people to stick it out. It's awful. It's awful. But God says, return to your family. It means, guys, listen, love her like Christ loves the church. Ladies, it means, listen, you, you, you respect him as if it was the Lord. And I know that's a mouthful, but it's no bigger of a mouthful than a guy having to love you like Christ loves the church. That means he gives up everything for you. Respect isn't a big, it's, it's a two-way thing. But return to your family. This is what's important right now. Maybe your career is not as important as you think it is. Just think about it. You know, 80, 90 hours a week, maybe it's not that important. What's it going to cost you in the end? Return to your family, he said. And this is an area where these priests let this go on, and they were the worst example of it. They made excuse after excuse after excuse to how to leave this wife because they wanted to get a new one. And I don't mean they had a, a marriage or a remarriage or a marriage or a re- I don't mean like, I'm talking 10, 15, 20 wives later. You get what I'm saying? God was like, this is sick. I hate what's going on because you won't respect your family. That's what he was saying. And he's saying to us today, listen, I'm not a pastor that's going to give an excuse for stuff. I can't. I'm going to say, hey, look, return to your family, work it out. But if there's an issue going on, I'll help you with it. But listen, if, if, look, if he ain't reading his Bible as much as Billy Graham, honey, I hate it for you. Does he work a job? Yeah. Well, they're right there. That's a pretty good deal right about now. You know what I'm saying? Does he have a job? Yes. Does he respect you? Yes. Is he good to the kids? Yes. Does he like your mom and your daddy? Yeah, sometimes. Well, that's pretty good. I mean, 50% of the time, you know. <clears throat> Does he hit you? No. Does he cheat on you? No. Is he fa- yeah, he's faithful. If you want to get into the New Testament, I can show you some stuff that even if he wasn't a believer, you're supposed to stick with him. 
That's in the Bible, but I don't have time for that. Return to your family. Hey, then I was talking about the other day, it seems like this cycle of life right now is so chaotic. I feel like it is like on fire every day. Something's got to be something. And I'm like, man, what, at what point, maybe we should just simplify and figure out how we can have time with our family again. Make our faith real and have time with our family. Because in the end, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? Jesus said lose his own soul. I say lose his own family. Maybe career is not that important. All right, third thing. He says his finances. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8. Let's read this. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8. He says, should people cheat God? Yet you've cheated me. Now, remember, who's he talking to? These guys back here right before 400 years of silence. This is what he's breaking down for them. Yet you cheated me. Yet you ask, what do you mean? Remember, they're, they're still they're behind the fig bush, right? He won't know. We just... Nobody knows. Cracks me up. You cheated me of my tithes and offerings that are due to me. And he says, you're under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be food enough in my temple. And if you do, says the Lord, then, he says, I will open up the windows of heaven for you, and I will pour out a blessing so great that you will uh, not have room enough to take it in. Then he tells you to do this. He says, try it. Put me to the test, and your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Now, that's a good, pretty good deal right there because we have a little garden, and I'm going to tell you right now, them pests and insects are a pain. And vegetables out of a garden that you grow don't look anything like the ones you get from the store. So who knows what they're putting on that stuff you're eating at the, from the store. Those apples look too perfect, I'm just telling you. The squash, that's not real. That's something they're doing. <laughs> All those vegetables at the store, they look so perfect and pristine. That's something getting sprayed on that, I assure you. Because them little critters are eating up stuff. But God says this, he says, you know, there should be food in my house. Now I'm going to read you something right here. This is very interesting. And I'm not reading it because you condemn, I'm reading it to make you aware. Um... And if you got a heavy debt, this would be very difficult to do. You need to work a plan of getting out of debt. And don't be entrapped in this world's system. But in a study by Barner Group, this is 2019, and this is pretty bothersome when you understand uh, what I'm about to tell you. On average, Christians in America, the second largest city to bring in on average rate of giving you're going to be surprised when I tell you this city because you're going to think it's somewhere else southeast. The number one city that brings in the most on average in Christians, on, on average, is in, uh, I can't remember, church would have to help me. Church, it's called Pocatella, Idaho Falls. Maybe, I don't know. Well, normally I would say Pocatella. That sounds like, but I thought surely it couldn't be that because that sounds too Georgia. You know what I mean? Okay, Pocatella. They bring in more per average for Christians any other city in America. You know what's number two? You're not going to believe this. Sin City. Las Vegas, Nevada. They are more charitable with their churches than any other city outside of Pocatello. And then people just criticize, oh, that's that sin city out there. Well, where darkness abounds. It's funny, when you're in a dark city, when you're in an area where it's really heavy, you, your faith gets a lot more real. Then when you're, I hate to say it, I'm going to say it anyway, you're in Cushy, Rome, Georgia, where everybody's a Christian, they say. 
I'm just being honest. Let me give you another study. This is crazy. I'm going to give you this, and then we're going to move on. Because I know it makes everybody so nervous. 84% of millennials report... I like to mess with Haley because I tell her, you're on the cusp of millennial. I mess with her all the time about that. She thinks, she's like, well, another study says you are too. I said, no, 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 you are. But, but millennials... It says 84% of millennials report to giving less than $50 to charity per annum. Even though charitable giving ranks high on their priorities, the most generous generation in the $500 to $2,500 range is Gen X. That's where I fall. That's why I mess with her. And watch this. The most generation, uh, most generous generation over 2,500 years, obviously those of you who are baby boomers. And you could say that it would be easy to blame, this is from Barna, easy to blame our material obsessed culture, our materially obsessed culture, but Christians fare no better when it comes to giving to the church. Listen to this. It says that only 5% of church members give regularly. Now, in our church, it's about 25 to 26%. So we're well above the average. But believe me, as you, when you run a nonprofit, 25% stinks. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I love y'all, but I have to run it. And I look at it and go like, man, you know, 25%. So it says, watch this. It says... <clears throat> Nationwide Christians today give 2.5% of their income. For comparison, 2.5%. Did y'all hear that? 2.5%. For comparison, during the Great Depression, our, my great-great-grandparents, okay, my, I'm sorry, my great-grandparents, they gave 3.3%. They gave more in the Great Depression than we do now. I'm not even going to, if I'm made man, I'm just going to, and we got government money going in everybody's pockets, and we we ain't doing any better today than back then. They didn't have any government money. I I couldn't believe this, 3.3%. It says 37% of those who consider themselves evangelicals do not give to churches at all. According to a study from University of Notre Dame, cited by Christian Smith and Hillary Davidson in their book, The Paradox of Generosity, when it comes to giving away 10% of finances, only 2.7% of people, religious or non-religious, fall into this category. And other studies confirm the same dismal picture. So, if generosity through tithing is part of our faith and we have good causes to give to, then why aren't Christians more generous? Certainly, we've heard examples of incredible generosity from believers, but the stats prove that most of us are rather miserable miserly when we ought to be generous or miserly how do you say that thank you very much i never even seen that word before why use that why just say cheap i mean like it, right i mean most of us say, why use that word nobody uses miserly i'm gonna go google that later what might turn us from our tight-fisted approach to finances towards what paul described in second Corinthians as a cheerful giver well, I can tell you what Malachi would say is we should return to the Lord in this area too. It is an interesting thing. Before the gap of 400 years of science, God said, I want you to return to me in your faith. Don't let it get watered down by the culture around you. Because 400 years is going to buy That's a long time to stay solid. Think about it. I want you to return to your family. Don't you get watered down and don't you let this world teach you anything different. Your family is when God joined a husband and wife together Maybe you got a couple of kids, whatever. That's a family. Don't you leave. return to your family. Don't abuse what I've been giving you. Return to me in your finances. Yeah, but I can't drive that new car. Well, at some point, you have to consider what's the, what is it that we believe? And it's not me trying to make you do something. I just, I'm being honest. <clears throat> Those are real numbers. 
And I'm at a church where I say we're at like 25, 26%. That's a pretty significant compared. That sounds, you want to brag on it on the one hand, but at the same time you think, well, if we're Christians, wouldn't like at least more than half do it? You know, that, I don't know. That's just me. So, so when he says, he says, return to me in this. And the last thing he talks about this is in chapter 4, he says, I want you to return to me in, in the freedom of worshiping God. And this is Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. Now, I, I find this interesting because <clears throat> the first three chapters, again, are all about us returning to God, our faith, our family, and our finances. Watch this. The fourth chapter is all about God returning to us. Now, isn't that interesting? Typically, this is how we want to do it as Christians. We want the freedom in God first. And we want him to take care of all this other stuff. It's not the way it works. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross. He didn't say, hey, I'll carry, you, I'll carry the cross for you until you get ready and more comfortable as a Christian. And you like what I say, and then you, know, then you can carry it some. No, he's already carried it once. He's not carrying it again. He says, you pick up my cross. So in freedom, Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, he says this, But for those of you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in, its, in his wings. And you will go free, leaping with joy like calves let out to pasture. Now, if you've ever seen that before, uh, they do seem like they're having a great time. I often wonder, I don't know what a little cow's thinking. Because I know what I'm thinking. Like, you know, they're going to fatten you up and you're going to be good on a plate. But apparently he's not even the least bit concerned about that. I mean, they run around like it's just no big deal. It's just everywhere. They don't have a care in the world. All the older cows sitting around going like, I remember that day. They just, they eating on the grass, but they're just, but God says, if you fear my name, you, those of you do, he says, you'll arise, the son of righteousness will arise upon you. And Isaiah says the same verse, he quotes this from Isaiah. He says, the son of righteousness will arise and have healing in his wings. There's an interesting thing about this, about where Malachi talks about they will be free like calves in a pa- that's been set out to pasture. There's a freedom that comes with serving Jesus that will release you from the bondages of this world that tries to rob you, watch this, of your finances, of your family, and of your faith. But it is only found in submitting those areas to him. You truly want to know what it is to be free? you got to give him those three. What does he want? Those three areas. You want to know what it's like to really have freedom in your heart with Jesus? Accept what he says about relationships with each other. Marriage is about submission, sacrifice, giving when you don't want to. Hey, he'll tell you, I'm not the most easygoing guy all the time. We deal with it. She's great. 99% of the time. 98% of the time. We'll just, it's not perfect, but you know, it's pretty close. We, it's sacrifice. You go through the good, through the bad. You deal with the ups, you deal with the downs. I mean, you know, but the world is trying to rob you of each one of these areas, your faith, your family, and your finances. And God is saying, if you'll submit to me those areas, you'll experience freedom like you've never experienced before. Joy and peace in the Lord.
I don't have to have that to impress. I'm trusting God in it. I don't have to do what the world says I have to do with my kids and my family. I'm trusting the Lord in this. I know the world out there is saying all kind of crazy stuff about our faith. We're bigots and we're the, you know, empathetic people. We are, we're haters of all kinds of people, whatever else we are, whatever. I'm not going to water down my faith to appease a group of people who are just looking to take more ground from me anyway. Why would I do that? Those three areas right now, I'm going to pray for you. And whatever it might be that you need to give to God, he's saying this morning, before we get to Jesus in the Gospels of Matthew, this week you're going to have a week in a sense, and I pray God gives you a week of silence. That may sound like a weird prayer. It's not 400 years, but what if he were just give you a week of silence? Nothing. So that you could reflect on the words of Malachi before you meet the words of Jesus. Because that's pretty much what they had to deal with. So I want to pray for you right now. Would you close your eyes by your head? Lord, in the name of Jesus, I come before you today. And I thank you, God, for your word. God, we don't want to water it down. We don't want to make excuses for it. We're not going to sit there and act like you didn't say what you said. So, Lord, right now, we'll work on our hearts. Instead of us trying to figure out how to say your word a different way to make it more pliable, Lord, just work on our hearts. Help us, God. So I'm going to pray first of all for those in the area of faith. God, there are some in here right now, they are being tested in their faith. This culture is trying to water down their faith. They're trying to bring and accuse their faith. And your word says this, that it is the devil. He is the accuser of the brethren. And God, if we have your word hidden in, in our hearts, then the devil is going to try to come and steal that word out. And so in Jesus' name, I pray that you would give strength to people of faith in here. In the name of Jesus, you would strengthen our kids and you'd strengthen our walk, Lord, that we would be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. God, let us not water down your word, God, but be strong in faith, giving glory unto God. And I pray for those in here right now that may be people of family, that maybe they've experienced some trials of trying to serve you, Lord. Maybe they've gone through a couple of things, God, and it's been tough. I just pray right now that you would work on our hearts, Lord, that you would cause us to see in your word what we are supposed to do. We're supposed to deal with our relationships. And the most important earthly relationship in our lives is that if we are married, it is our spouse. And so I pray, Lord, that no one, as your word says, the one that God has joined together, let no man tamper with it. In Jesus' name, I pray, if anybody's trying to mess with a holy marriage, in Jesus' name, God, you put a stop to it. God, that you would rebuke them in the name of Jesus. How dare we touch something that you have said is holy. So in the name of Jesus, God, I pray for those families. I pray for their kids. I pray, God, for righteous children in the name of Jesus. Give us the boldness to give your word to our kids. And make no excuses for it, Lord. And I thank you for it. God, I pray for those in the area of finances today, Lord. That are here right now, God, and they're fearing, how can I even... I do not know how to even begin this process. I pray in Jesus' name, first of all, that you don't let the devil condemn them. Second of all, God, that you help them see how. And third of all, God, if they have heavy debt, I pray in Jesus' name that you would break that off their life, Lord. Give them the ideas, give them the tools, give them the resources. Lord, give them the the extra um, opportunities for income to break that cycle of debt off of them in Jesus' name. And to stop bowing to this world but to bow to you first, Lord. 
In Jesus' name, I pray you protect their finances, God, as they're working this out. And for those who are consistently been tithing for years, maybe they might be asking the question of what is it, what's the profit to serving God? In Jesus' name, I pray you'd renew their faith, Lord. That, that because of their faithfulness, the gospel has gone all around the world. There are missionaries right now that have reached tens of thousands of people through our church because of their faithfulness and their giving. I pray you'd help them remember, Lord, the, the word of God that's gone out because of their giving, Lord. Your gospel, Lord. I thank you, God, for helping us in our finances. Lord, in this last area I pray for is the freedom of following you. I pray, Lord, that you would revisit our homes. <clears throat> you'd revisit our church, all of our churches. That you would revisit with your presence, Lord. 400 years of drought, no prophetic voice between Malachi and Matthew. Lord, I pray this week that as an example, God, would you give us just a week of where it's just silent. That we have to trust you completely, Lord. But God, after that, as we go into the words of Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would help us remember what it means to have the freedom of following Jesus Christ. Revisit our homes and our churches with your presence. I pray that you would refresh and renew faith in people's hearts, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord. And if there's anybody here today, Lord, that they don't know you, they're without Christ, I pray today, Lord, that they would come to you. If you're in this room or you're watching online right now and you say, I don't know Jesus Christ, I'm here today, but I do not know Jesus. I am not certain that I'm a saved believer. I've been in Rome for many years and that's what everybody says is we're Christian, but I I don't know that I've ever prayed the prayer that that is a prayer of salvation. And so if that's you this morning, we're going to pray this together. All of us in this room is going to pray. And I feel like there's a few of you maybe that's here, maybe you're watching online, but you're not certain. You just don't know. We're going to pray a prayer together. The whole church is going to pray with you, but I want you to pray this out loud with me. If you're ready to accept Jesus, you're ready to commit him as being the Lord of your life. Pray this prayer with me right now along with this church. Say, dear Jesus, I come to you today and I give you my heart. I give you my life. And I ask you, Lord, to forgive me, to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Lord, help me to live for you. Lord, empower me with your spirit. And give me your strength. In Jesus' name, I make you the Lord of my life. Amen and amen. Man, if you pray that prayer, we're so, so proud of you, right, church? Would you give him a hand right now? <clears throat> so excited for you. If you prayed that prayer, if you're watching online as well and you prayed that prayer, here's what I love you to do on, your, on, on the link on the bottom of your screen if you're watching there or in this room, either one, connect.cornerstonerome.com. And we want to help you get started walking uh, with God. Maybe you need some discipleship materials. We'll send you that. We'll help you. Whatever you need, we'll, the link for the study notes or should be on your screen right there or some form of it where we can get you the study guides. If you're in here, you can pick those up on your way out. But if you need something from us, we'd love to help you get started walking with God. Um, so before we go today, <clears throat> we'd love to speak this over our church before we go. And um, this is the Lord's blessing uh, for you out of numbers. And so if you don't mind standing to your feet before we speak this over you, I don't know, I just started doing this before we go. Kind of stretch your legs out a little bit. There you go. Pop that knee, you know what I mean? Before you got to get up out of here. 
Now, if you're a little calf, you don't care. You just jump up like, Woo-hoo! yeah, it's great. It's great. It's great. It's cool. It's cool. But you come in where we are anyway, so there you go. So that's what BBs tell me all the time. You think it's cool because you're so young, but you're coming where I'm at right now. So you ain't going back the other way. You know what I mean? So anyway, all right, ready? Scripture say this in Numbers chapter 6. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And that is our prayer for you in Jesus' name. God bless you guys so much. You're dismissed. We'll see you next week. If today's message blessed you, we want to encourage you to take a moment and share this podcast with a friend. Remember, there's one hope for every heart, and that's Jesus. See you next time.